If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, or you can look at your bulletin, where our scripture reading is in Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Please stand for the reading of the word. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, that is the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an end and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go, and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. There were several of these conversations that Jesus had along these same lines, and they were generally with the doctors of the law, the lawyers, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people in Jesus' day who really had it nailed down. They understood their religion about as well as they possibly could. They were the experts in the religion. And Jesus, because He came teaching and teaching with some authority and teaching in an attractive manner in which the multitudes were hearing Him, and not only that, Jesus accompanying His teaching with miracles and signs and wonders, He got their attention. And so over and over you find in the gospel records occasions when these teachers, these scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these lawyers would come to question Jesus and to find out what Jesus was all about. Sometime it was obvious that they were just trying to learn, trying to get some perspective. Who in the world do you say you are? Was one question. But then there were times when they were trying to really test Jesus, when they were trying to provoke him. There were also times when they were trying to trap him and catch him in some obvious heresy, some manifest untruth that would discredit him entirely with the people. 
And this is one of those occasions. If you want to read parallel accounts, you can look in Matthew 22 and again in Mark 12. I wanted to look at those this morning, but I don't think we have time. But, but they're, they're parallel in the sense that they talk about the same subject, the same material. It's just that they change the, the speakers. Sometimes it's Jesus who's quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus where he quotes the law. And Jesus will conclude that upon these two commandments, all of the law and the prophets depend. They hang, he says, upon these two commandments, these great commandments. The, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And he goes on to tell about that. And then Leviticus 19, and your neighbor as yourself. First commandment, second commandment. The two great commandments. The essence of the law. The essence of what the Pharisees and the, and the uh, scribes de determined that was the essence of their faith. Here was their religion. Their religion was this, and pay attention. I'm going to hit you with a couple of three things that I really want you to catch this morning. One is their religion said this. Moses gave the law, and we must keep that law in order to have eternal life. And if we fail to keep the law, we have a ceremony. And those were the offerings, the sin offerings, the blood offerings that were all detailed and prescribed of all kinds of occasions and, and very, very uh, complicated detail. But there was a ceremonial aspect to the law. So the statutory law would give a commandment, thou shalt not steal. If one stole, he could come and make a sacrifice and the lamb or the bullocks or the goat's blood would atone for the sacrifice. There were individual particular sacrifices and there were sacrifices for the whole nation of Israel, especially on the great day of atonement. And so that was their, that was their system. That was their understanding. Jesus was going to try to teach them. And we've seen this several times already with parables that we've looked at where Jesus tries to teach them that they have not kept that law that they have somehow fallen short of the glory of God in the law. They have not kept the law and therefore will not inherit eternal life, will surely perish. And it's his import to try to show them their solution. And the solution is Jesus Christ himself. Salvation is not a plan, it's not a program not a procedure. It's a person. It's Jesus. And in every case, Jesus is speaking to them directly, showing them that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It is he that bears their sins in his body on the tree. It is he that will keep that law for them in his perfect obedience. And then he will pay the penalty of that law on their behalf, in their place, as their substitute. And they are thereby given eternal life, not because of their works, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, but they will be saved by Jesus' works. His active obedience in keeping every commandment and pleasing the Father to the utmost, so that on two occasions the Father manifestly said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then beyond that, Jesus in a passive way lays down his life and in obedience to his father, he yields himself up as the sacrifice for sins because the justice of God demanded that God's honor and his justice and his holiness 
be venerated. And Jesus is that person, God in the flesh, who came to bear our sins in His own body on the tree. And that salvation is only by the merciful granting by God the Father of Jesus' work on our behalf and in our place as sufficient for our salvation. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. That's the gospel. And Jesus is the walking, talking the gospel. When Jesus preached the gospel, He talked about Himself, who He was in relation to the Father and His deity and everything that was involved in His life. And Jesus' teaching one way or the other, it's incredible to me, the, the incredible variety of the way in which Christ approached this same subject of, of, of Him. Whom do men say that I am? What think ye of Christ? Those are the questions. It's all about Christ. And so here this ruler comes, not, not ruler, but a lawyer. A lawyer comes to Jesus and looking at the context, if these are parallel passages, he was probably a Pharisee, he was probably a scribe, he was probably not of the Sadducean uh, sect, but of the Pharisees, but that's just sort of putting, comparing scripture to scripture. Nevertheless, he was a lawyer, that meant he was an expert in the law of Moses, and he stood up, interesting, there's something about standing up and approaching Jesus to put him to the test. This lawyer was there to test Jesus. And when Jesus and he had the discussion about the law and the importance of the commandment, they agreed. In some occasions, the people would ask Jesus to quote the commandment, see if he knew it. Sometimes Jesus, in this case, would ask them to quote the commandment, to see if they knew it. They both knew the commandment. It was the same commandment. They agreed on that. God's law is holy and just and righteous and good. It stands there to be obeyed. And we are to obey the law of God out of moral obligation of our creaturehood. We have no choice. All are under obligation to be obedient to the law of God. And sin is marked out by that law. Where there is no law, there's no transgression. But you put a law in there, now you've got some definitive, definite sin. Some transgression. Some iniquity that can be counted. Some sin that can be delivered. You have something you can work with. And then there is a penalty attached. And then there is a promise of life attached. There's your law. And Jesus and the lawyer had no agree, disagreement at that point. And there's no disagreement even today. The law of God still stands as God's righteous character. And all men and women, boys and girls are required to keep it perfectly, personally, and perpetually. And if you fail in one, you failed in all. But notice he not only came to test Jesus, but he came to justify himself. 
And so after they had quoted the law, after he had quoted the law, Jesus said, well, do all of this and you shall live. That's a direct quotation out of Moses. Do this law, this whole law, and you'll have life. The question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, if you keep the law, you'll have it. And oh, by the way, that's true. That's still true. <laughs> you keep the law, you'll have eternal life. Did you know that? Just stop for a moment and think about, have I kept the law? And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to this young lawyer. But notice that Jesus just saying, well, do this and you'll live. See if your good works can get you salvation. See if your obedience will put you in a place to inherit eternal life. By the way, you know the best way to become, to inherit eternal life is to become an heir. When you become an heir, that's when you inherit something. But he, desiring to justify himself, began to debate with Jesus just a bit about the stipulation that had to do with the neighbor. He didn't talk about loving the Lord God. He was aware of what that probably meant as well as he could be aware of it. But this lawyer, now we've got a debatable point because this was a debatable point. The Jews had all kinds of opinion as to what involved their neighbor. Was it only a fellow Israelite? Was it a fellow Jew? Was it someone that lived in proximity? Who was a neighbor and who was not? This was an ongoing debate among the rabbis in that first century before Christ going into the times of Christ. So now this lawyer is going to get Jesus on this particular point. But really, it's to justify himself. Just in the quoting of the scripture, the power of the word of God probably worked in his soul to where his conscience was pricked. And he was disturbed because he realized, I have not kept this law. I have not loved the Lord with all my heart, my mind, my strength, my soul. I've not even begun to love God like that. And the guilt of his sin began to move in on him. And he felt this need to justify himself. He began to try to excuse himself. He asked himself, well, maybe the law's not really this strict. Or maybe God being a God of mercy is going to lower the standard just a little so that I can make it. Or maybe it's relative to the situation. Maybe it's a comparison. Maybe the whole thing is judged on a sliding scale or, or, or graded on the curve. And maybe it, I can with this law pass. Maybe a lot of it is important is how good are your intentions? You know, from the very beginning, the intentions of God's people have always been good. Moses said, do all this and we'll do it. We'll keep this law. Read the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy are filled with vows and covenants and, and promises that they'll keep this law. And this is the young lawyer's dilemma. Maybe the neighbor is relative to one's status. Maybe I can live up to it if I have the right pedigree. Maybe if I'm a Jew. Maybe if I'm a scribe or a lawyer or a Pharisee or a Presbyterian or a Baptist. 
Maybe I've got some pedigree that will enable me to be saved by the keeping of the law. But Jesus, of course, would have none of it. And so in answering his question, the question of a guilty conscience, the question of someone that's trying to find a loophole, someone that's trying to do what, by the way, one of the definitions of sin is to try to amend the commandment. To change it. To modify it. To mollify it in some way. And that's what he was, of course, seeking to do on the technicality of who is my neighbor. And then Jesus tells him this wonderful story that we're very familiar with. And I won't repeat the story except just to highlight a few things from the story. A man, probably a Jew, was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was, as the old King James says, he fell among thieves. And they robbed him. And they beat him. And they stripped him naked. And they left him half dead on the side of the road. And along comes a priest. A lot of priests lived in Jericho, which is kind of interesting because God had put a curse on the city of Jericho back in the days of Joshua. Do you remember that? He said they weren't supposed to rebuild the city. They weren't supposed to live there. And here's his own priest having residence down in Jericho. And they commuted up to Jerusalem to do their work in the temple. A priest passes by and looks, passes on by. A little while later, a Levite, that is one that works in the Levitical industry, doing a lot of things relative to the temple and the worship service, handling holy things, sees the man wounded, beaten, naked, and half dead, and rides on by. And then comes an unlikely one, a Samaritan. And the Samaritan had compassion. When he saw the man, he had compassion on him. And he saw the condition he was in. And he began to meet his needs immediately. What did the Samaritan, and I'm going to outline this because Jesus is like that Samaritan. He had compassion. He saw his true need. He gave him comfort. You're going to be all right. You're going to make it. I'm going to take care of you. He brought with him healing. He poured in oil and wine. Wine first to disinfect the wounds. The wine is the blood that cleanses. And then the oil, the balm, the healing ointments, the Spirit of God, that which restores and makes whole. And then He provided for him, gave him rest. He didn't say, let's walk to the nearest place. He put him on his own animal. Jesus said, come to me and you'll have rest. And not his own energy, but the energy of another. Christ and the animal brought the poor man to an inn. And he stayed there and he took care of him. Ministering to his needs, bringing him the water of life, feeding him on the manna for his soul, restoring his soul and his strength and bringing him back around. And then he paid the bill. Jesus pays the price. 
He pays the price for our salvation. And then he looked to his future needs. God doesn't just save us by Jesus and leave us in where we are. He didn't leave us in the ditch. He's not going to leave us in the inn. Unattended. He provides for any future need that we may have and promises to cover it. That's the beautiful story. Jesus is telling this lawyer about himself. He's talking to the man face to face. And this lawyer doesn't recognize that right in front of him is salvation. And so there we have the gospel story of what Jesus has done for us, just in sketch, just in parable, just in type, just in suggestion, but so rich in its import. And now Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these was neighbor? He's turned it around. It's that you don't worry about who your neighbor is, you worry about being a neighbor yourself. And Jesus said, who do you think was neighbor? I have no idea where it came from, and I can, can't even remember the name of the preacher I heard it from, but it's exactly 50 years ago this month. July 68, I heard a young preacher, a youth evangelist, who talked about this parable, and he had a, and I'm sure he got it. He was too young to have thought this up himself. <laughs> so <clears throat> if I'm doing plagiarism this morning, please forgive me, but he had a, an answer to that question. Which of these were neighbors? And he included first the robbers. The robbers said, but yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Then came the priest and the Levite. And the Levite says, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. And then came the Samaritan. And the Samaritan says, what's mine is yours because you need it. And that's the gospel message. That's the story. How sad the lawyer was talking to the Savior. What about you this morning? Do you see your guilt before the law? Do you see your spiritual condition? Wounded, robbed, naked, half dead? Do you see your Savior? Do you see Christ? You see Christ in your place bearing your sin. Do you see Christ in your place keeping the law perfectly? Do you see Christ coming to you and offering himself to you for salvation? Giving him yourself, taking his self. He rescues, he heals, he forgives. He satisfies. He pays the price. He brings us to safety.